0: We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself.
1: Welcome back to Land Decolonized, the podcast about First Nations taking control of their lands and resources, and saying farewell to a big chunk of the Indian Act. I'm your host, Richard Perry. On this episode, you'll hear about Opaskwayak Cree Nation, OCN for short, as you'll hear, and what the nation has accomplished with its own land code. Now, my conversation with Chief Christian Sinclair. Chief, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Richard Perry. How are you today? Excellent. We just got dumped on by a huge blizzard, but it's not as cold as where you are.
0: No, no. Minus 49 this morning with the wind chill. so I'd <laughs> take that snow any day.
1: <laughs> My wife has relatives in Saskatchewan, and they're keeping us up to date on the wind chill every day. Trust me. Ah, very good. Yeah. Uh, Chief, before we talk about land code, I just wanted to find out how your community is doing after that uh, COVID-19 scare back in November in the uh, care home.
0: Yeah, we've actually uh, were able to learn a lot uh, by getting the military to come in to assist us uh, because of the fact that we had so many staff members uh, get the uh, COVID-19 in the uh, care home and as well as all the elders that were in there. So we had to make some very uh, quick uh, moves and, and move rapidly to avoid the uh, crisis that happened in Quebec and in southern Manitoba. Uh, fortunately, with their assistance, we are able to recover very quickly and uh, get things back on track. We've beefed up the security uh, and actually, Rick Conson actually overlooks the security component of OCN. We've shut down all the access points and really have a tight control on access in and out of OCN. So we, just this past week, though, we had another uh, unfortunate spike uh, in the town of the pond within the dialysis unit of the hospital. And some of our members first got affected by that, which is very unfortunate. So we're going to see what the cause is there and how we uh, get that under control uh, with the uh, cooperation of the town of the the Norman Regional Health Authority.
1: That's great. You've got that tight relationship with nearby jurisdictions that you can work on something like that together. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about land code. It's many years ago that your community signed on to the framework agreement. And you were probably either in high school or community college at the time, if I'm right. (laughs) Well, they were jumping on this file. I was jumping out of planes in the military. (laughs) Okay, that's when you were serving overseas. That's right. Do you recall much of the conversation back then or were you, you too occupied with your military responsibilities? You know, what?
0: I had no clue about politics or the issues uh, that were affecting the community at the time. I was just living my own life and uh, traveling around the world and living the adventure. But you look at uh, the issues of today and it's a very easy comparison to be able to look at First Nations such as a prospect that are under the land code compared to those that are still under the Indian Act and the inefficiencies and Ultimately, my own personal uh, description of that is that it is an economic sanction, this Indian Act. So for OCN to remove that bind from our ability to govern as a sovereign nation, it just takes us that much closer to self-government and be able to make sound decisions as a leadership table based on the expertise and the recommendations of our staff and our management as we move forward and to allow for development to really uh, take root in our community.
1: Can you talk about the types of development that that have taken place in your community since land code was implemented?
0: Well, when you look at the Opaskwayak you know, Cree Nation uh, back in the early '70s, our population was about what 500, give or take. Fast forward to 2021, we're over 6,300, with almost half of them on reserve. So, with that uh, spike in our population, which is roughly about 3,500 on reserve, that comes with more infrastructure more uh, business development, more roads, more homes, et cetera. So the demands continue to grow and are growing rapidly based on the demographic shift of our First Nation population growing six times faster than the uh, mainstream uh, population. So in order to be able to move with that level of growth, you need to have the proper policies in place the proper procedures. And in this case, the land codes that allows us to be able to do that. It also forces our, our departments within the government of OSEAN to collaborate more closely together so that there's a lot of uh, uh, in-house planning, if you will, that allows for uh, tying in the strategies of our economic arm with our housing arm, with our infrastructure arm, uh, increase in more water services, et cetera. So just a ripple effect on every aspect of our society. And this allows us to move at that pace that uh, provides a lot of convenience for our members.
1: As I've heard from other chiefs, it's been great because you're able to operate at, quote, the speed of business and that if you're looking to develop commercial partnerships, business interests can't wait around for somebody in Ottawa to approve a permit or to sign off on something. Uh, Had there been delays like that in your community?
0: I was actually a a victim of that uh, old Indian Act policy Uh, previously. uh, Anita, you were part of that, right? It took me three years to try and get a pizza shop set up here and I told the government of Ocina of the day back, that is, I can just go to the town of the paw and have that business set up in less than a week. So I took the, the risk of going through the First Nation process and to be able to experience it first on how delayed it was, how inconvenient it was, how much extra costs there were for the entrepreneur, whether it's individual or band-owned, it was just a, a ridiculous uh, joke and an insult to First Nations uh, for those that have the ability and capacity to be able to move and grow. Why would we leave our destiny at the mercy of a bureaucrat in the ivory towers of Ottawa, or Winnipeg for that matter? It was just ridiculous, and it is ridiculous for anybody, for any human being to be exposed to that type of uh, ridicule. Policy of ridiculousness. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I hear you. And that's a common theme from, from others I've spoken with. I think I read somewhere that at one point, I'm not sure how long ago, but your your band was either involved in third-party management or coming close to being involved in it. What's the story there?
0: Uh, uh, just over four and a half years ago uh, with the first term that I served in, uh, we were on the verge of third-party. Uh, our development corporation was in uh, the midst of bankruptcy within the next six to 12 months. So in order for us to be able to minimize that because who in our right mind would want to hand over the keys to a foreign government and have them administer our governance. So we made some very fast moves and this is where the land code works very nicely with the other uh, organizations such as the Financial Management Board, the First Nations Financial Authority. We had to really analyze all the synergies between these organizations and how we can incorporate that into maximizing the benefit of our land development in OCN. So by being able to do that and taking our uh, future borrowing power, uh, which at the time uh, prior was you make a dollar, you spend a dollar or unfortunately in the previous government was spend a dollar 50 type thing. So we were able to eliminate that bring in the financial administrative uh, discipline through the financial management board that allowed us then to borrow on future earnings. So the beauty of it is we're taking money even to this day out of the future. It's really money out of thin air that. Governments, whether they're municipal, provincial, uh, national, other international uh, governments, do do that and have done that for a long time. We now have the ability to do that, and we take that. We invest strategically uh, in other companies or within the El Cre Cree Nation, and it's allowed us to really leapfrog ahead and get us uh, in our latest uh, review from the bottom third of Manitoba to the top 10 in all of Canada, just in four short years. So we actually did it within two years. So the... Uh, luxury of being able to establish that type of governance with this new elected government today and any future government to maintain that momentum and that discipline going forward will only strengthen us going forward. And through the good work of Edith and the Lands Department of OCN, it allows us to be able to now synergize and bring in a master plan that will really take us even further as we move forward. So we're still getting our feet wet. We've learned the process. We have our own environmental at a first in Canada for a first nation. To not only manage our lands, but to protect them for future generations. As we say, um, when we're pushing daisies, the seventh generation should be able to enjoy the beauty of our lands and increase our land holdings as we move forward.
1: When you speak about future generations, it, uh, it reminds me of how, I guess it's vital that youth in our communities become more involved and understand the land code process because they are the future leaders. Are youth engaged
0: Yes, the way we uh, structure our governance is we do have a junior Onigano and Oneshiwak, or junior chief and council, that's what we call ourselves in our uh, Cree language, Onigano and Oneshiwak. So they actually have a seat on the board of lands as well, and every other branch of the opaska Cree government. So we are building that capacity by having them sit in on those committees as ex-officials and learning what it takes to run a government. So they have their own budget that they function and with. They do their own fundraising, et cetera, to conduct their own initiatives, but they also sit at the respective uh, branches when they hold their government meetings.
1: Yeah, I was helping a local Mi'kmaq community with some of its initial community engagement and communications when they became a developmental First Nation. And what struck me was that as they were starting to learn this process, they could look to all the other First Nation communities across Canada that were operational and that were more than willing to share their advice and expertise at the drop of a hat. I mean, I was quite astounded when I saw that kind of cooperation.
0: Absolutely, and that's uh, the real reality of when you look at our our past uh, histories, our ancestors, it was a community of sharing and really caring and helping each other. No one went without. That same logic applies with us today, and I do commend the leadership of OCEAN uh, when they moved on this endeavor 25 years ago. You know, having that courage and that ability to be able to take that risk, that chance to calculate a risk, if you will, and to be one of the first to blaze that trail or be that pathfinder to develop and build and work what we have today that we share with others, and we'll openly share anything within our government, within our administration, with any First Nation across Canada.
1: I uh, took a quick peek at at the land code that's on your website, and I know there's a pretty strong section in there about environmental stewardship. Has that been an important component?
0: Absolutely, as I mentioned before, and I do want to commend the good work uh, under the leadership of Edith and her team that was there previously and prior now. And, you know, she's learned a lot, uh, being the first in Canada to have that environmental law, to be able to protect our lands, our waters and resources here in our First Nation, but also extending that to the traditional territory of El within Treaty 5. It's only to the benefit of future generations, and we see what's happening with the world environment today. What our ancestors always said is to protect it. And we are stewards of that ancestral knowledge to be able to take that and continue passing that on to future generations. So we take that uh, and hold that very close to our hearts and build on that going forward. And I know Edith will be more than happy to share that land law with any other First Nation in Canada as we move forward.
1: You mentioned Treaty 5. Were there any concerns back in the day about a land code affecting your treaty rights? I've heard that that may have been one of the myths or misconceptions back then.
0: I know that some of the First Nations, they do raise that issue today, uh, as well as with the issues of FMB or FNFA. But it's again, it's learning from those that have already blazed that trail and to learn and to give them reassurance that, you know, this has been nothing but a positive and has strengthened our treaty rights. I still hunt. I still trap. I still fish today. That doesn't affect it at all. If anything, it strengthens it. It just puts parameters and controls in our for us to ensure that we remind ourselves as well as in Inamuk that we got to protect our land uh, just as much as we tell others to do the same, uh, whether it's on reserve or off for that matter.
1: Own source revenues. Can you maybe just give me an overview of how your community is generating own source revenues?
0: Yeah, well, with the history of OSIN, uh, they've, we've been very fortunate uh, with the leadership of, of, of past leaders and you know, with uh, Elis' father, with Rick's father, they've been part of that movement, whether they were independent uh, entrepreneurs or worked with the, uh, the band-owned entities. And when you look at the Atunake Mall, I, I still marvel at the fact that our nation, as small as it was back in the late 60s, early 70s, were able to build the biggest mall, which is still the biggest mall to this day in northern Manitoba, with its size and scope of uh, roughly, what, over 300,000 square feet, three levels uh, at a time when, First Nations weren't even on the radar of big industry or, or government or just a, a blip, but uh, the leadership that was then shown sets the path for Opasco today where we have uh, pretty well the whole Tunike Mall filled up. Uh, we've spilled out into other areas such as the Kikiwak Inn, the Assiniboia Casino, we've got the Ocean Shell, Ocean Shell Gas Station. We're now in the midst of preparing, uh, developing a, what we call the uh, Highway 10 Northern Commercial Strip. That's gonna bring in more small business uh, strip malls, bulk fuel plants, truck stops, et cetera. So that's happening now. And with that uh, other element of own source revenue from the VLTs, we've been able to take that and reinvest it back into expanding our business operations through the Act Business Development Corporation. We put a lot of it, of course, into our social programming to make sure, uh, as we say, that uh, we're only as strong as our weakest link. We have to make sure we lift everybody up a rising Tide raises all ships and we need to show that through the leadership and management of our government. So as we do progress going forward, the ability now to borrow through the First Nations financial authority has allowed us to be able to invest provincially, nationally, and internationally. And with those dollars that are now flowing back into Opasquak, we reinvest them right back into Opasquak in the form of housing, infrastructure development, social programming, uh, increased uh, employment opportunities to really structure us accordingly so that we can govern like any other healthy governing uh, society. And we're doing that very effectively and continuing to learn, restructure ourselves, refine, define, and basically be lean and mean. But we don't want to be green, we just want to generate green.
1: (laughs) Do Do you ever pinch yourself and say, my God, how did we get here? Every day. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know we've got a lot of work to do we do have a lot of other plans coming and uh, what we have done recently uh, through the leadership of the present government of the day and through the full support of our directors and management uh, in the various branches is that we've initiated a comprehensive community plan um, that is surveyed uh, and designed for the people by the people of what they want so in years past it was what the Chief and council of the day wanted or the management it's really now knowing what the people want that allows them to really create the quality of life that they want so that triggered another piece uh, another tool that we have which is a wellness study and that wellness study really defines where the people determine where they're happy or where they're lacking so that when we go through our budgeting exercise now and this year is our first year to really do it we're going to now be able to determine exactly where we push more of the dollars to knowing what the people are saying on the on a community scale right from the young children right up to the elders so we hear them all and we'll adjust accordingly where those dollars go as opposed to in the past the the director or manager that had the loudest scream or voice got the most money those days are gone it's based on actual surveyed results by the people for the people of ocn
1: you mentioned green so i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about your cannabis investments where do where do you yep. sit where do you sit now
0: it's very interesting uh all of our initial uh, strategic shares that we put in have all been paid off. We have loans and interest fees that have come in that have put us in a very healthy surplus position. As of uh, right now, what we were able to do is uh, get a position with uh, one of the companies, which is now one of the strongest. Uh, region was called National Access Cannabis, uh, got out by a company called Meta, and then uh, Meta Growth, and then now got bought out by High Tide, which is now the largest, uh, most profitable, strongest retailer in Canada. And they're now making their foray into the U.S. uh, in the NASDAQ uh, very shortly. So that will be uh, the the paperwork, the process has started to get us in that area. The other uh, investment we have is with Tricom Financial, which is a financial company, but which is invested in every aspect from growers, indoor and outdoor, right, to technology and finance uh, and everything in between. So that one is also now uh, being bought out by an Israeli company and then going to be going into the NASDAQ shortly. So OCEAN holds a seat uh, in both of those companies. So to go into the NASDAQ, uh, let alone the Toronto Stock Exchange for the first time in the history for a First Nation, we've done it twice. And we're now going into the NASDAQ twice uh, within the next uh, uh, next month with the trichome and then within three months with uh, High Tide. So it puts us on an international scale with a footprint in Europe, Israel, uh, throughout the Canada, and now into the U.S.
1: So where do you see yourself five years from now?
0: Well, I'm going to be retired on an uh, island in Jamaica, smoking uh, some of the product. <laughs> <laughs> where do I see myself? I can't say that. I always say I leave that in the hands of the creator. But for OCN, as our ancestors have always said, we only hope and pray that the next leadership that takes over can take us to a bigger, better place and continue to grow as we do move forward. You talk about where we were four years ago and we did an analysis. Our government was in a a deficit for 20 years and we only looked at 20 years. It was one year where there was a $19,000 surplus blip and then it was right back into the millions of dollars of deficit. Fast forward from when we uh, took over four years ago, we've been in a surplus every year since, but it's because of utilizing the land code very effectively, getting certified with FMB financial management board, the First Nations Finance Authority and synergizing between all those elements to be able to allow us to do what we're doing today. So again, we're only as uh, strong as our leadership is at the table and through the support of what our people want and direct us to do going forward. But I'm very proud to say we have a very uh, strong management team, very talented, highly educated. Uh, We've also taken the process of a meritocracy where we have the majority of our boards based on the merit of their qualifications and certifications other than three boards that are based on an election through the community at large. So it works very well. Uh, We'll continue to improve going forward. And that's the beauty of it. We're we're always finding the, the tweaks, the fixes to make us more efficient, as we said earlier, so that we can be more effective knowing that our demographic shift is growing six and a half times faster really than the general population. And we have to be able to manage and balance that going forward while still maintaining a connection to our history, our culture, language, traditions, and ceremonies. And we're able to do that and find that balance.
1: What's it like when you talk to people like uh, Rob Louis and Austin Bear and others who were were back in the day, and, and now they're obviously celebrating the 25th anniversary. And I wonder if you can share any conversations you've had with them and how they've expressed their excitement over this anniversary.
0: Well, first of all, I look over to my left to my colleague here, Ida. She had jet black hair uh, 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 25 years in, in the world of working together. But, you know, relying on our team, our staff to do that. Today. She was here long before I was. Rick was here long before I was. So it's really carrying that momentum of the management, the leadership, that's her. But the nice thing is knowing that the Robert Louis of the day, uh, Darcy Bears, uh, across the country, No, you have that network that uh, you're able to tap into when needed as needed very supportive and we're all in this together as we say Uh, as first nations we have our challenge against the the policies of the federal government that have not necessarily worked in our favor but by coming up with these solutions made by first nations for the benefit of first nations we have proven that we can do it better than anybody and i'm only one spoke in the wheel of many and i rely a lot on the expertise of my team here uh they're the experts i'm just the voice of the people here. And I'll never profess to say that I did this all. Uh, I never have, never did. It was set in stone long before I came here. And we'll just continue refining that wheel as we move forward. And we'll continue to build from the pathfinders such as the Robert Louis and Darcy Bears of the world so that we can share with others as they come forward. And we'll continue learning from everybody as we move forward. That's our traditional way. And it's what has made us strong and thrive in the past. And it's what will help us thrive and become strong in the future moving forward.
1: Well, I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate the uh, the insight and the information about your community, Chief. And uh, I want to thank you and Rick and Edith and your technical folks for making the interview possible. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Okay. Take care. Stay warm, Richard. Have a good day.
1: If you're curious about the process of signing on to the framework agreement, a must-visit website is LABRC.com. The First Nations Land Management Resource Center is a central hub for resources and frequently asked questions. That's LABRC.com. Join us again next week as we explore the people behind the land code movement now celebrating its 25th anniversary. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening.